0: Have you ever wondered what it's like to be the rabbi of a large congregation? Are there issues of importance that are unique to the Sephardic community? What are some of the challenges that are facing Canadian Jewry as a whole? We're going to discuss these questions and more in today's edition of the CoreCast. I am Richard Rabkin, the Managing Director of COR, and today my guest is Rabbi Yosef Ozil, the rabbi of Congregation Petach Tikva in Toronto. Rabbi Ozil, thanks for coming. Pleasure to be here. So Rabbi Azul, why don't we start with a little bit about you. Maybe you can tell us where you grew up and some of the flavors of
1: old town Montreal. I was born in Morocco. You don't usually hear that from somebody my age, but uh, my parents, I think, literally missed the boat. So uh, we were all, um, my sister, my two brothers, myself, born in Rabat, uh, early 70s sister was born in the 60s, and uh, we came to Montreal. We were all very young. We grew up in Montreal. How old are you? So I was uh, three years old. So you have no memories really of Morocco? Very, very few. I don't know. You know, sometimes I think when you're very, very young, certain things, certain random things stay in your head. So I remember, I think, the uh, the, uh, the the domestic help we had. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, nothing, really. I don't remember much else uh, from Morocco. My memories really are from Montreal. We grew up in Montreal. It was a it was a beautiful time in Montreal. A lot of mi- immigrants. Um, we went to Yeshiva, Gedola, at the time, Ramatul Weinberg, We uh, were fortunate to become very close to him. In fact, he uh, passed away in 1992. Uh, I, I was, I think, the last, or the second-to-last wedding that he officiated, um, so we have very fond uh, memories. Yeshiva years were were, wonderf- were wonderful. Uh, can I can I just
0: interrupt you a second because I'm curious to go back around the time frame that your parents left Morocco. So when was that, and why did they decide to leave, and why did, did they decide to move to Canada?
1: That's so a it's a great question. I, I think. You know, from the, the the bits that we got growing up, um, the, my parents and and um, my parents and some others remained behind, the, the, even after the mass migration of the 50s and the 60s. Some did remain behind uh, until the time that my parents started having children and they started to think. That perhaps staying in Morocco wasn't the best thing for for us.
0: Was anti-Semitism an issue, or?
1: Um, I don't think that anti-Semitism was so much the issue as much as you know assimilation and th- the fears of of of, uh, of parents from, um, from from old countries. Um, had, you know, the majority of the Jewish communities had left; uh, they had gone to uh, to Israel, to uh, to France, to uh, South America. Uh, Montreal, some came to Toronto, and uh, there was a real concern. Uh, so, my parents, I think, understood that it was time to, to start looking. I think that, not, not I think, I remember my father, Allah telling us that they, they'd applied to Australia. Um, uh, maybe I would have been with the other Kashrus organization there today, but uh, yeah, they, they were turned down, and uh, we were accepted in Canada, and then we came, and then all the aunts and uncles came, and eventually all of us my my father's entire family uh, came to, to Montreal we all grew So up in there Montreal. was
0: a large contingent who were still in Morocco and your your family was kind of like the first to make the big leap.
1: Yes, yes, from those that that remained behind again there was the constraint of the family. My father I think also had a good job when he was there.
0: And was that the primary reason that they stayed and they didn't go to either Israel or France as you mentioned?
1: I think that uh, you know there were there were a lot of people from their community that had moved to to uh, to, to Montreal. I think that there was uh, maybe perhaps the consideration of the language, maybe so you know French speaking Morocco is, is also French speaking, so perhaps that was also um, that was also a consideration. Uh, there was one relative that came here first, so that was the person who was sort of sending sending back for everybody. We have a cousin; they were the first ones to come, and they. Kept writing back about how wonderful it was. You know, a, a great country.
0: They must have been writing those letters in the summer. <laughs>
1: correct, correct. I think they. I think that they withheld the uh, the, the information about the winters. Um, we, I, I do remember actually when we came to Canada, uh, we were like many immigrants were welcomed by the Jayas, Uh Jewish um, immigration agency, something. Uh, basically, they, they provided uh, very basic services for new newly arrived families clothing you know and uh, small help um, and I remember we, we we had coats for the first time because we, we didn't need coats
0: Wow you had never had a coat before. never had a coat wow. uh, we lived
1: in a building I still know which building it is um, it was a, a building that was a, a government subsidized for newly arrived families until families got on their feet and I remember that there was a big fire in the building. It was Lil Shabbos. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, we were very young, but it's a memory that stays with you. We all had to leave the building. We were outside. It was very, very cold. And uh, and we were, you know, this was something that stayed with us. And we realized, it, you know, it's, it's the winter, and if you have to be sent out of your home in the winter, it's a serious thing in Montreal. Wow.
0: So maybe talk to us a little bit about growing up there as a, I guess a new immigrant in Montreal, obviously you're acclimatizing to to a new country, Canada. What was that like? Do you have memories? Were you primarily in the Sparta community, Montreal, or uh, was that a consideration at the time?
1: Yeah, I I have very vivid memories of how things played out. So there was a a very small group of activists in our community who made it a point to uh, go and see the new families in their home in their homes, and talked to them immediately about schooling. We understood that schooling uh, was a very big issue, you know, coming to North America, um, much like the families that came from Eastern Europe, they they had to start considering things like that, that they didn't have to consider because the Jews lived in ghettos. Now it was no longer the case and and school would be a, a, a much bigger concern. So I know that they successfully, at the time, my parents were traditional. Um, they successfully, uh, my parents were were happy to oblige. They they understood the the, the need to uh, enroll my, my 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 sister in a in a religious school, and then me and my brothers as well. So we we joined the yeshiva, um, because of that. So we grew up in, uh, you know, yes, it's it was an Ashkenazi environment. We there were some Sephardim with us. Same, they, they were in the same boat as us. I pardon the pun, um, and we grew up together. Uh, the yeshiva in those days, I, I, you know, my memories are very positive. I, I never felt like I was from here and, and they were from there, for the most part. Um, I felt very much at home. I, my experience in the yeshiva was uh, was very positive. Very uh, indebted forever to, to my rabbi and my Russian yeshiva. Um,
0: How did you navigate that? Did you have to compartmentalize, you know, for example, the way your Havara, the way that you spoke in Davendor, what you, some of, you know, different minhagim, you know, this was something that we do at home in shul, and then this is the version of me that's in yeshiva in an Ashkenazi environment. How did you navigate that?
1: You know, my father was very wise, and I realize now, you know, I realize, unfortunately, sometimes when your parent is no longer, you think back about those things that were uh, less important at the time he was very wise he never ever pushed us in shul to do it this way or that way I think he knew that it was much more important to make sure that the education, the Torah upbringing, it, it had to be sound uh, and and everything else would be second to that so we found we found our way we found the way to uh, to compartmentalize so that, you know, in yeshiva we learned in the way that uh, the yeshiva learned, um, I even you know p- eventually picked up on the Yiddish, and in shul we pronounced in this way, and it because it was very organic and very natural, it worked very well. So I'm able to, you know, a daven for the Amr, I daven for the Amr in my shul, uh, I, I, you know, from time to time, I'm in Niroim, and Maroin, and, um, and I still, when I'm learning pri- privately, I still learn in the way that we learned in yeshivas. That's much more natural to me. So my father uh, allowed for that to happen just by itself, and I think that was very wise.
0: So that sounds like you came to kind of a beautiful understanding and way to to navigate that. Were there ever any challenges? Or you're saying that that wasn't necessarily an issue?
1: No, there there were never any challenges. Um, You know, when we were, when I was in yeshiva, there there were years that we were expected, when we were older, we were expected to remain in yeshiva for yomim noraim. So that was going to be a challenge. Uh, You know, while I'm able to learn in the environment, to daven in the environment is very very different. I'd never davened in an Ashkenazi environment when it came to Yemen. Uh, there was one year where our Rosh Hashiva, our late Rosh Hashiva, Ramon Weinberg, Zatzal, very graciously, because there were many of us, very graciously offered us a room upstairs, and he encouraged us to have our own davening for, um, for I think it was Yom Kippur. I think that he wanted for us to daven with the yeshiva on Rosh Hashanah. Um, and, and there was an accommodation um, and that was that was good, but um, other than that we 'd never felt that there was any problem
0: so basically what you 're saying is that there was a spirit of cooperation uh, and a spirit of understanding from your perspective that allowed kind of the the, the two sides to meet
1: one hundred percent you know much in the same way that i that I talk about the fact that my father was wise and he allowed for things to 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 happen. Um, in the yeshiva, there, there was it was very clear, you know, what the expectation was. We had to daven there every day, and we had to do the things that they did, and we had to attend the things that they did. Uh, there wasn't going to be any differences, um, and it was important because I think it was the it was the right thing that that when it came to yeshiva and our yeshiva, bringing our Torah, bringing our education, that things should be sound. Um, so the Rosh Hashiva knew where uh, he, he needed to push and where he he allowed us to uh, you know to do to do things a little bit differently. It was a, and again as you get older you you realize that we didn't appreciate it so much when we were in, in the time but uh, we, we certainly appreciate it now.
0: So let's fast forward a little. You're still in the yeshiva environment. When do you make the decision that you want to be? You know, a rabbi, a pulpit rabbi. How do you make that decision?
1: There's a, there's a funny story. Uh, it's almost unbelievable. I, I do say it over in my shul. Um, you know, every few years when they forgot it, you know, I say it over. So when I when I finished high school, I went to, to be smederish and we, we learned for for a few years. Um, I, I wanted to go and learn math. I wanted to go and study math, more advanced mathematics. And so I went to uh, the equivalent of, of university in, in Montreal. I had been there for about three months, and one day I receive a phone call from the Rosh Hashiva, <laughs> and he's looking for me. Um, a very funny thing happens in the conversation. It's not too long before I realize that he's looking for the other girl. So I have a cousin, Allah, who tragically passed away. Uh, he was a rav in Miami. Um, he passed away unfortunately a few years ago. Very tragic. And uh, we were both in Yeshiva. He's so a little bit older than me, and he was looking for him. But as hashkacha would have it, he had me on the phone. And when we both realized it, he says, "You, you got. I got to talk to you. I have to see you." And I came back, and he, uh, in, in his, in, in, in a way that only he could, you know, he was so um, persuasive, so warm. Um, and he 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 said, you, you have to be here. You have to be here longer, I think it was, that he wanted me to do. And and that was it. That was it. And, and then I remained there.
0: Uh, so he was really trying to to pull you back into the yeshiva environment. He wasn't necessarily saying, you've got the gift to be a public rabbi. Right, right, no. Or maybe he had, he had seen you doing some math problems <laughs> and figured, no, no, there's no career here for you
1: yeah I don't know what he what he saw listen you know he he was a great man, and maybe he saw things um but but yeah at the time it was just you needed to come back here. you're not ready to leave yet and uh, and I went back and I got married and i stayed in colo um and then I took a small part time job in, in, in while I was uh, learning in a small community and and um so I was there on Chavez. um and that and that was you know that was the beginning of it i, I, I think that I discovered that you know we had a knack for being able to work with people which I think is really the most important part of the job description is to work with people that's what the job demands today more than the ability to to be there for people in, the, in their time of need the ups the downs counsel people to uh, lend support to guide people um, and I, I think I discovered at a, at a relatively young age in my life that I um, that I had that ability, or people did said so anyway, or you know encouraged me in that in that direction. And uh, so when the job here in Toronto eventually did present itself, um, I, I realized uh, that this is something I should look into.
0: So, but was there a moment when you said, okay, you know, I want to be a rabbi type of thing, or or you know, you mentioned you were doing some more advanced learning in in base matters, and then you were. Colel um, and working with the a smaller community I guess you were kind of a part-time rabbi yeah. so to speak yeah. so was there a moment when you said hey I can do this or I want to do this
1: I, I, don't, I don't I don't know I don't know maybe there was um, I don't remember that there was a you know there was a moment where, where a light bulb went off and said this is it this is my calling you know I, I don't think there ever is all joking aside this is it 's not a job that that a person a career path that a person gets into because they choose i think it 's something you do because you can um, it's it 's a massive responsibility it 's an understatement y- you know your, your your time belongs to others and and, and and you have to be able to bear a lot and i think i think um, I think it's a calling. I think it's a it's a calling. I did g- I have to say that I I did go through a period of time where I was really second guessing. When I came here, I really was second guessing. I didn't know if this was something that I wanted to do. Um, I think it was six months or eight months into it, and I remember that my then Rebbe, who is still my Rebbe today, that I'm very close to, a, a very great man by the name of Shlomo Vigdor Altuski. He's actually Ramatowander's son-in-law, who's now a Rosh Hashiva in Darachitara, by Rabbi Bender. I remember that he made a special trip here because he was very much behind me. He, he felt that this—he felt very much that this is, this is something that I should be doing. He, he was, you know, unfortunately, Ramatul didn't live to see to see this. Um, after he passed away, I became very close with Valtuski, and when this opportunity came up here in Toronto. He was the one who really sort of took me through it and encouraged me ultimately to take the job. So when I expressed to him that I was having second thoughts, he actually made a special trip here. And he spent uh, the whole day here with me, um, just looking at the shul and speaking to people. And I remember the drive back to the airport, when I drove him to the airport, where he said to me, this is where you belong, this is where you need to be for a long time. Those were approximately the words that he said to me. 22 years ago.
0: So yeah. it's been a long time. Yeah. And what was it about those initial years at Petach Tikva, which is the Shul where you're the rabbi now, uh, what will, what was it that challenged you that you thought, you know, maybe, um, I don't know, maybe this isn't for me?
1: I, th- I think that when you come out of a yeshiva environment or a kolo environment, where you see the world in a certain way, uh, you come into a community where... For better or for worse um, there especially in the sephardic community there are there are all types um, when you 're young the way you look at that is how am i going to how am I going to change these people how am I, How am I going to influence these people um, which is not the, the correct perspective you learn that with time that 's not the but you you see yourself in a in a very black and white way, and you say, okay, well my job is to educate and inspire these people here. I'm not going to be able to do it here, uh, and I think that's what happened to me. And uh, and then I, I was told, and I didn't understand, but I was very reassured because my relationship with with my rabbi, as as a relationship uh, between any talmud and a, and a rabbi, it should be. Is one of uh, one of trust, not only because I just trust whatever he says, but I I trust that he knows. Um, He has a lot of wisdom, and he knows me very well. Um, While I didn't understand, but when he said to me, and he was sure of it, that this is where I belonged, just that that someone felt that way, um, it it took away all of the uh, the anxiety and the the apprehension. So it it was it was just the fact that. I was new, and it was a big change and a big shock. And with time, as the years go by, you you uh, develop a perspective, and you, you start to see that that's not, that's not how it works, and that's not what you're supposed to
0: do. So what are you supposed to do now that you've had that perspective?
1: Yeah, I was waiting. That's a great question. Good question. Uh, I, I believe that what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to develop relationships, uh, just honest and... Uh, and and, uh, heartfelt relationships were possible Um, you you develop relationships with people and things begin to happen Um, I remember when I was in Yeshiva we had a um, there was a uh, person who was an altar mirror Rav Yanko Magid who was the father of uh, Rav Yanko Magid a was a uh, over here in Toronto um, we were very fortunate to to have him in our base at the time he was very old, so he was a a survivor of the war he had learned in Mir by Rabbi Rucha. and uh, from time to time we were privy to hear things coming that, that, that out of the mouth of of such people and I remember I was young and i 'm glad that I absorbed this. He once said that the way you give over... I think he was talking to people who who were parents, but the the principle applies here too. The way that you give over the love of Torah to your children is the way you give over a cold. You have to have the cold, and then you have to be very close to the person, and then it just goes over automatically. And there's, there's tremendous wisdom and truth to that.
0: Wow, that's very wise. Yeah,
1: and... And I think that that's what it is. You you develop sincere relationship with people. You you care. You must care about people. You teach yourself to, or you or you have the ability to. But you have to care for people, genuinely. Their pain is your pain. Their happiness is your happiness. Their plight is your plight. You're there with them day and night. And and because I care about you, you know, I want to I want to show you a little bit. Something that you may not you may not know. Come and learn with me, or get involved in this she'er, or why don't you come to shul, or and 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 that happens. That happens, I think, organically. So I think so. Um, those all those steps are true. You have to have it. That that is a step in itself. You have to make sure that you're fresh all the time. You got to be learning all the time. You know, it's very easy to to stop learning. Because you're busy, you're so busy. There's so much to do, but you have to have your seder where you you, you remain fresh, you, you remain connected to Torah in a in a in a very vibrant way that it should be alive and real, and that, and then you and then you have the relationship piece, and then you daven. You have to you also have to daven for your kehilah. This is something that I also learned. It's very very important to daven for the members of the yikihilad. Not just that you know this one should have a refor shlema but you daven that their hearts should op- should open up to to be able to receive what you want to you know what you want to convey, and, and that they should be able to be inspired. Um, and um, and you you accept the fact that you can't do everything. There's lots of people. Um, sometimes you know it's not his time yet. Sometimes that time will come later. Sometimes people are not ready. Sometimes you have to be able to look in the mirror and say, "Well, maybe I didn't do enough." You, you got to do a lot of soul searching, and you have to be very honest. But you know, you you um, you focus on the quality, and uh, from the quality comes great quantity, good quantity. You know, quantity that is not that is not doesn't possess the quality is not always that good. So you, you know, you you. You're not going to be able to um, inspire people in a massive way. It's it's going to be the one-on-one, ultimately that's going to uh, tr- hopefully connect people to Yiddishkeit. And then that one person is a family, and this other person is a family, and slowly with time, you know, this is how things uh, progress.
0: I think that you know. Um, rabbinical schools should make this conversation required listening. I think this is a great advice. Um, can you maybe talk to us about some of the, the, the changes or growth that your community, that you've seen in your community from 22 years ago until today?
1: With great chassid from Hashem, um, I don't know how much I had to do with it, and I say that honestly, I'm not just trying to be humble, I, I say that truly honestly. Uh, but I was definitely here at the right time. Y- you know we, we um, our, our community when we came was um, was a community that consisted of uh, a mature membership um, that uh, that was uh, you know still very much perhaps of the of the immigrant mentality. It had relatively not been so long that they were here. 60s, 70s. And then there were children. At the time, those children were, were young. Um, there was a small group of guys who, who, who used to come to shul. Really small. Uh, maybe one table, you know, when we had a shear, Maybe one table of guys who came. And at the time, they were, you know, 11, 12, 13, 14. And um, we got to work. R- we rolled up our sleeves. And I remember we started a shear called Monday Night Raw. Apparently Monday Night Raw was a big wrestling, uh, and because it was Monday night, so somebody said Monday Night Raw. Okay, um, we learned and we had pizza, and um, and and I guess I guess um, you know it, it it became you know it became a little bit popular. Cousins would come and friends would come, and I th- and I think that you know a, a, a little a little movement started to take place, and um,
0: people started catching colds
1: yeah exactly people started catching colds a little bit again it, it, it's a it's a very very slow and uh, uh, slow and steady process um and and again over the years each one of these people got married and that's a family and that's a family and five families and six families and eight families and and then you know other families and their friends. Who here? Well, this is you know there's there's something going on over here and and Hashem uh, today we have uh, I think it's approximately uh, 60 uh, aside from the uh, the uh, larger broader membership of the shul but 60 young families uh, so that's entire families that's a whole community in itself that are now living in our in the Clinton Park area that are connected to our shul. Again, I I didn't have to. I didn't have everything to do with all of it. Uh, A lot of it just happens by itself. Um, You know, people like to go where where the where the the action is. So sometimes you know you you come to the shul. It is exciting. Baruch Hashem, there's kinei Nahara, I don't know the Sephardic equivalent of that word kinei Nahara, So uh, there's just tons of children. Um, in the shul on Shabbos just so many kinds so beautiful to see so you know you're a young family and you have a couple of small children you you want your children to be part of that it's a very healthy environment it's a a good environment Um, something that makes us unique and it's it's I think it's unique to Sephardic uh, Sephardic uh, communities is the, the, uh, the fact that they're not all the same um there is some some broadness to it, so you have people who are a little more you know like this and a little more like that, and everything in between um because that's ju- that's just that's just uh, the way it is in Sephardic Shul um, and there's something beautiful about the fact that everybody belongs, and people are mechazic each other, people invite each other for for Shabbos, so you can find yourself being invited um, to the home of people that. On the outside, some might look and say they're not exactly the same, but um, it's it's not an issue in the shul, and and for us that works. That may not work for everybody, but for us that works. It, it works well. A, a lot of the growth of a co- of, of people in the community is from the community piece of it. It's from the peers. So that's you know that's that's beautiful. It's not just sixty families that are exactly the same. It's 60 families where the kids go to different schools and um, and somehow we're a community.
0: So on that note of community, your, your community is, of course, part of the larger Sephardic community, which is part of the larger Jewish community. What um, either trends have you seen or perhaps are there challenges uh, that may be unique to the Sephardic community or, or what issues really are on the minds of... The you know people in the Sephardic community that maybe the broader Jewish community may not be aware of.
1: I mean, it's no different than than I think everybody every other community. What, what is unique to our community in the last twenty years is that uh, we have today, Baruch Hashem, a number of younger, um, like-minded rabbanim in, in, in the Sephardic community. I, I think that prior to twenty years ago, it was a one rough community more or less for the most part I hope I'm not making a mistake but um, today we have uh, a number of young urbanim who are like-minded we all went to the same types of, of yeshivas we're, we're all driven to do the same we all we have a, a, a strong kinship we we, we have a, a deep friendship and, uh, and a liking for each other and um, um, there's no politics when it comes to, to these kehillahs from the rabbinical perspective, anyway, you know, yours, mine—there's th- no such thing. Baruch Hashem, we—we're um, all driven by the same thing. We all want to see the people in Kiva grow. So that's—that's that's something that's unique. That's a unique trend. I think that uh, we're very proud and very happy that we were uh, part of. We saw it. We saw it happen, um, whether in Thornhill or locally. So that's a—that's a really. Um, Wonderful, positive thing. Um, schooling, you know, we we have a school, um, Orha Emet Orha Emet itself has changed over the over the course of its uh, existence. You know, again to reflect the trends in the in, in the community. Um, we would love to 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 start thinking about a about a high school. Um, not because all of us weren't. Uh, tremendously enriched, you know, from the high schools we went to, the Ashkenazi high schools, and we are, like I said, forever indebted for the unbelievable chinuch that we received. Um, but I think that it's a symptom of a growing community. It's normal. I think it's just natural that when the community is growing, you you uh, you, you begin to uh, n- naturally come to the point where you you, you have to. Develop community entities. You know we have the uh, in the works, and we have you know other tzedakah uh, organizations in the works as well. Something again that ha- has been developing over the years as the community is becoming more and more established. So schooling is also one of those things. Um, you know our girls go to the to the schools. You know that your, your girls go to and the boys to, to, to where your boys go to. Um, but I think that. Um, you know the, the the larger safari community is is look is beginning to look for something by way of a of, of a high school too. Um, so that's you know that's a, that's a challenge. It's not easy. It's something that uh, we're looking to. Um, I think that one of the things, and I don't know that you know, this is for this broadcast, but one of the challenges I think that, that again it's not unique to our community is y- again the trends you, you observe the trends you know the, 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 um, the traditional Jew doesn't exist anymore um, or, 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 or almost doesn't exist anymore the concept that there was a Jew who perhaps was a little bit lax when it came to observance but was very deeply rooted traditionally that that is disappearing so today what you have is either people who are very committed uh, or people who are very very not committed that poses a big challenge for the community because for all the growth unfortunately there's a lot that's fallen by the wayside and that's of great concern and um, this is a huge challenge because we, there's a lot of Jews, and we, 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 have to, we have to reach out, and we have to um, do something. So I think that, that perhaps, to me anyway, I think that that's probably the, the, the greatest challenge.
0: So in, the, in your mind, this is the primary uh, challenge of the broader Jewish community, is this split amongst um, the observant and, and no longer observant and the, the vanishing traditional Jew.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't call it a split. You know, a split uh, a split is a, is a is a negative. You know, has a negative connotation to it. It, it happened because this is the reality of the of the, of the, of the, of the place where we live. You know, it used to be in the older countries that um, the com- the community communal life uh, allowed for that that type of a Jew. Communal life here doesn't exist you know we live very very much in the diaspora so that judaism is in your shul and it's in your home so i think this is just it's naturally happening there's nothing we can do about it i mean i think that if you look at the other synagogues you know you look even at the conservative synagogues the conservative synagogues they're suffering a lot in terms of attendance it's happening everywhere because that old mentality, Jew, it's disappearing. You know, as I once put it to somebody, um, in, in those days back back then in Morocco, I, I talk about Morocco. So if you weren't in shul on Shabbos, you were home on Shabbos, uh, you know, with your friends, uh, maybe playing cards or uh, or having a nap. If you're not if you're not coming to shul on Shabbos in, in Toronto. Then unfortunately, you're in the malls, and your kids are playing hockey, and you're shopping or doing who knows what. There, there's no middle ground anymore. We, we don't we don't live in that kind of world anymore. So it's not a split. It's it's natural. This is this is what's happening as a result of where we are. Um, and and uh, and unfortunately, like I said before, for every you know person that is. Moving and becoming more committed, you have three that that, uh, that are not, or two, and this is of, of great concern.
0: So if you were to have a magic wand or have the ear of the general Jewish establishment and you've outlined this major problem, what solutions would you propose?
1: It's, it's very difficult, I I don't, I, don't, um, I don't know, I don't know the solution, I just know. Though that, if if you don't, if, if an organization, if an institution, a religious institution, does not consider the fact that um, that this is happening, it's happening before our very eyes, and they continue to uh, model themselves after something that no longer exists or it's going extinct, that that institution will close its doors, which which is happening. Sometimes you hear people say, well, this is becoming too religious. There's no choice. Because if we don't, we will also close our doors. We will also go extinct. It's very difficult. It's very, very difficult. Because believe me when I say that, you know, when I when I look around and I see it, it looks wonderful. But I know that this represents one-third of everybody that's that's out there. I mean, You know, on Yom Kippur, our our shul is packed to capacity with people who only come on Yom Kippur. Um, You know, the the core of people who come on a regular basis is one third of that that, uh, large, large room. So it's 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 with a very heavy heart. It's it, it weighs heavily. You know, as a as a community leader, you must never stop holding yourself to task and 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 saying, I, I have to do something. Is there something I could be doing? Yesterday I, I, I spent some time with an individual who was very detached but uh, fortunately going through something in his life and I reached out and we sat together for an hour and it was an hour just spent talking about it. And I think that that's something we can do. Like I said at the beginning, I think that the way the way to do this is to connect with people um, I think people by themselves some of them many of them will say I like this, this feels warm this feels good, this is the feeling I'm looking for maybe they themselves will take that first step and you have to be ready for that and you have to be available you have to have your ears open and your eyes open you know, for, for, for that day
0: so aside from your shul, I know you're involved in a number of Jewish organizations, and one of which is the COR. So I just wanted to talk with you just for a couple closing minutes about what it is that you do at the COR. I know your title is Rabbinic Liaison. Um, I'm not sure exactly what that title means, but I know that you know what it is that you do. I certainly know, and the value that you bring to the organization. So maybe you could just talk to us for a couple of minutes about what that is
1: so uh thank you I, I i do i do the same that i do at the show i uh, my i think my job is to 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 be the people person so you know whether it's inside the office or uh uh on the outside um in the on, on the community level um i you know, try to be the person that 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 is the that is you know the the point person if somebody uh has a concern or or somebody needs somebody that they can talk to. Although I have to say that you know the office has become uh, a place where there are many individuals, such as yourself and and, and, and others, uh, that are, are always available and, and open to to, to, to anything, to, to almost anything, anything that is kashrus, anything that is community, anything that is you know the, the betterment of our community. Um, but uh, that's that's what I do. You know I. I I will get involved if there's something uh, you know that might be a little bit sensitive uh when it comes to uh you know a relationship with a proprietor or when it comes to something where there you know might be um uh, the need to uh to navigate through the the intricacies of a you know of relationship or of a, or the impact in a community because of something so that's where i uh That's where I get involved. Uh, You know, that's as vague as I can. (laughs) I know it's vague, but that's, I think, what I do.
0: Well, the organization certainly is better off for having you here. What's the one thing that you think is misunderstood about the COR from the outside and that you wish people had a better understanding
1: of? Oh, you know, misunderstood. I think that we had a proprietor, I don't want to name him, but a very bright guy who, who once and maybe you'll you'll know what I'm talking about, he once noted around the table, you know, nobody likes the tax guy. Nobody likes the, 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 you know, the uh, police. It's just the nature of it. Personally, I I can live with that. I'm okay if somebody, you know, is uneasy about the COR because the fact is that the COR is the authority that will, you know, uh, uh, Oversee the execution of kashrus to the highest level possible. I'm, I'm okay with that because that is what we do. Um, the, the, uh, the the one thing though that perhaps I wish people would remember is that long gone are the days where you 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 walked into uh, to an establishment and you had to make sure to do your own due diligence. Uh, you know, to see to it that uh, yeah, the vegetables were checked properly and uh, you know, there's no visual issues that is long gone, it's finished it doesn't exist anymore I, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that there are very few places in the world where you can travel to and when you see that symbol you know that it means the same thing everywhere um, hence the the, the the transparency I invite people who think one thing? You know, you hear a lot of people uh, often talk about the exuberant fees. I, I invite people to explore it, to pick up the phone and call and say, "Is it true?" And if it is, why? Um, very quickly, people would realize that that it's not so. Um, that the, the the in fact, the the fees are actually very minimal, and and almost every place in the community kashrus. Uh, you know the C subsidizes.
0: Right, I I explain that oftentimes the four hundred and fifty dollars a month that a that a restaurant is paying is not affecting the price of your pizza.
1: Right, and and when you think about it, you know you see a, a young man who's a, a, a father of four or five, he comes in and he does his job. He shows up three four times a day. You know, stop and think for a second. How is my four hundred and fifty dollars paying a salary? The answer is there's a lot of you know stru- structural stuff that people don't know about and. Uh, there, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of very creative thinking that goes into you know a, a, a enabling these maschikim to have you know the salaries that they have. So um, y- you know I always said I think around this table that I'm okay to be criticized for things that I'm not a, I'm not ashamed of. Yes, we we are strict when it comes to certain vegetables. That's that, that's just the nature of right? and it. And if people aren't happy about that, I, I understand and I'm okay with that. Uh, we've never ever, to the best of my knowledge, ever gotten criticized for things that we would not be able to answer for. You know, inconsistencies. And, uh, yeah, people do say that, but it's not true. Um, it's not true. The, you know, it's the the, the, the uh, organization is very transparent and it's uh, tremendous consist consistency. Mm-hmm. And I'm really very proud to belong to an orga- organization where it's the same rules everywhere, every... every um, establishment has the same expectations. Um, the mashkikim are paid the same way. Um, there's no, you know, double standards, and we strive really to uh, to, to improve every week.
0: So on that note, Rabbi Zil, uh, we're also very fortunate to have you here at the COR. I'm sure Petach Tikva would say the same thing, and uh, most certainly uh, the larger Toronto community. So thanks very much. This has been a real pleasure.
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Next time, we'll do it in Rabat. <laughs>